Hello, and thank you for joining me. Uh, my name is Dexter Curley. This is the Panhandle Primate Podcast. Um, it is a very windy Sunday morning, um, and I'm just, this. it's actually kind of funny because I recorded my last intro um, exactly a week ago this morning. So I guess this maybe is going to be a, a tradition. I don't know if I'm going to start posting every Sunday. I'm going to try to start posting a podcast a week, so... Maybe that'll be a good way to do it. Anywho, uh, today's guest is Eric Burdett, and he's a cool dude. I met him a while back and then started following him on Instagram. He just recently got back from a trip to Africa. He's about to start school again, so we had time to sit down for a quick podcast. Uh, I say quick. I think it ended up being like an hour and 45-minute conversation, but it was a good time. We talked about Africa photography and some religion uh we just got we kind of covered a lot of bases we talked about a lot of different stuff but uh pretty good time anyway that's who the uh that's the interview today but first some quick announcements this week august 20 well actually let me start with tonight so today is sunday um tonight at the tecla house ryan caldwell is playing i believe his album is called the last american he's about to release a new album um he's playing at the tecla house tonight and hayden pedigo is opening for him so i believe the cover is ten dollars um kids 10 and under free uh but if y'all don't know if you're in the amarillo area and you don't know about the tecla house you need to check them out follow them on instagram follow them on facebook they're, they have a lot of shows coming through town, and I think this last... I'm, dang, I'm not going to be able to remember the name of the band. I might have it in my notes here somewhere. Um, I do not. Oh, no, I don't have it. Anyway, they had a, a band from, I think it was maybe Spain came through uh, on like a world tour, and they played at the Tecla House here in Amarillo, which is really cool. It's a small... Uh, house venue house show but they have like a badass concrete stage in the back it's kind of elevated uh it's super cool really cool scene um cool to just see so anyway check that out tonight um i'm doing this on instagram live so hopefully some people will see it on instagram live if you're just hearing this and it's uh you're on monday or tuesday or whatever day you've missed it but still check out the tecla house because they're doing some cool stuff And I believe they're going to keep doing some cool stuff. So anyway, that's tonight, Um, August 28th. uh, That's this coming Tuesday. We're having the Panhandle podcast meet up at Recreation in Canyon at 7 o'clock. And it should be a good time. This will be the fourth one that we've done. And they've been a good time. So this is for anybody who, who likes to listen to podcasts who has a podcast or who wants to start a podcast or you just want to come out and drink some beers with some fun people and have some conversation or whatever. Um, I think it's going to be a pretty diverse group. It typically is. It's uh, kind of people from all over the board end up showing up. So it's it's a lot of fun. Um, and that's August 28th uh, at Recreation in Canyon. Also, if you buy the Rodeo Clown Burger for the remainder of this month, a dollar of each purchase goes to uh, the Press On Foundation, who is uh, it's Coben Puckett's um, foundation, and 
you know, you can hop back. Uh, I had Coben on twice. So he uh, he's a cool dude. Just listen to those episodes and check it out. So also, August 31st is the Critical Mass Bike Ride. Luis Garcia, who was a couple episodes back, he's kind of helping organize that right now. Um, it's actually like a, a large thing. Um, one of my buddies, James uh, Falky, he used to uh, run it or organize it or help. I, I don't know if there's like really like it's not a one person runs it thing. It's just kind of trying to get it organized, trying to get um, as many people to to ride together and raise awareness of that cycling as an option. That riding your bike is an option, a uh, pretty good option, especially in Amarillo. Even on mornings like this where it's pretty windy, uh, typically you're only riding into the wind one direction, you know, so you're going to flip around and, and ride with the wind at some point. So that's August 31st. They're meeting at the 8.06 and I believe the time is 7 o'clock. I'm not 100% sure on that, but if you go back to the episode with Luis, the cover art is the uh, the flyer for this critical mass, so it'll show you, and you can see. Okay, also September 1st is the Yellow City Sound Festival at AC. This is a really cool event. They bring a lot of bands out. Um, I kind of did some very minuscule research right before I started reading. Uh, I didn't go on Facebook or anything, because sometimes that's a black hole, you know? Sometimes I like to... Uh, to keep that at a distance because you can fall down on a black hole and you can start seeing like, oh, you know, it's like almost this uh, reward system of scrolling through the news feed. And I didn't want to mess with that this morning. So anyway, the band that I know will be playing is Mount Ivy. So John Rubin, he was a guest a few episodes back as well. He's the drummer for Mount Ivy. I've played their I've played a couple of their songs on uh, the podcast before and they will be playing at Yellow City Sound so check that out. Okay, and now I would like to thank our sponsor, Happy Hour. They are located at 3801 Olson Boulevard. They um, deliver drinks to offices uh, as well as any just like group they'll they'll deliver um and, you know, it, it's a pretty cool way to uh, develop inner, like, office relations, you know? So, at the end of one day, make it a weekly tradition, like, every Tuesday at 4 o'clock. Hey, we're going to, like, we're going to stop working at 4 o'clock. We're going to order some drinks in. We're going to hang out as an office and still go to work on time, or, like, uh, go home, get off of work on time. Um, it it's, it's gives you something, you know, like... I'm starting to realize with like modernity, with modern life, you have to like have stuff to look forward to. You know, you have to have these these moments during the week, during the day, whatever that you uh, almost have a break. You know, you have time to be allowed to just chill out, do your own thing, and this is a great way to do it. They will deliver to your office. You can order online, so you can actually you don't even have to call and talk to anybody. You can get on their website. You can get everybody in the office together and say, "Hey, let's all get together and let's just uh, let's put an order in. They'll deliver it, and we can hang out for an hour, just chill out, and um, you know, strengthen uh, office relationships, encourage conversations, and 
Oftentimes, it seems like when you give people free time to chit-chat or whatever, they will collaborate. They will start to come up with ideas. Maybe one person has had an idea of how to make the office more efficient or more productive, but they've been sitting on it because they they don't really uh, they don't really get time to express their like thoughts. You know, this is a good time to like build into the week um, an hour, and it's like if you could dedicate an hour a week to just giving your employees like a, a paid hour to just chill out and hang out together. Who knows? Sky's the limit, I guess. So um, they're opening 830th. So that's this coming Thursday. And that day you can use promo code Happy Primate. That's like uh, the promo code that they gave me. And you get half off of your order. So you can get two drinks for the price of one drink. So if you're wanting to try it out, it'd be a great way, a great time. Um it's a good way to support the podcast. If you are a consistent listener or if you don't even like the podcast but you kind of like me as a person, um, it's just it's a good way, you know, a lot of a lot of things these days work off of like analytics and numbers and this is a great way to like register like hey, I'm listening to the podcast your sponsorship of the podcast is helping. It's a good way of letting Happy Hour know uh, that I'm worth something. So uh, use uh, promo code Happy Primate. Get half off your order. Uh, this is just for the opening day. They're going to give me another promo code. Um, but for opening day, they were just wanting to do a big promotion and try to get as much traffic as possible. So just to reiterate one last time, this Thursday happy hour go to their website which is happy hour texas or happy hour tx i actually screwed that up in the last i believe it was the last podcast i kept saying happy hour texas and that's actually a different thing so uh it was a bad commercial from from me you know i'll i'll own that up you know but visit happyhourtx.com and you can place all your orders online They'll deliver to your place, or you can stop by their their storefront, their location at 3801 uh, Olson Boulevard. So, all that being said, uh, they're lovely sponsors. Uh, I'm really enjoying that partnership, and uh, get out and support them. Uh, So, today's guest, as I said earlier, is Eric Burdett. Cool dude. Uh, I think y'all are going to enjoy this conversation. I really enjoy this conversation. It was like... Uh, I'm, I'm starting to get into a little bit of a better flow. I mean, we did like an hour 45. I I can't remember if I took a break. I might've had to take like a bathroom break, but we hammered it out. I mean, it was like hour 45 of, of really good conversation. I, uh, you know, we ended up pulling the plug just cause I don't like keeping my guests for like super long time, especially, um, Eric, you know, just traveling back from Africa and having school coming up. I mean, all that's stressful. So I wanted to give him some time. But so we could have kept going. uh, But for sake of time, you know, we cut it short. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, Thank you for listening. Give me a follow on Instagram, which the Instagram live is still going. I think we got one person watching, which is cool. Um, But give me a follow on Instagram. Uh, check out my Facebook group, which is Panhandle Primate Podcast. 
Um, I, I try, I'm trying to post more events into that, um, into that portal. Would you call it a portal? I don't know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, so anyway, and, uh, you know, like or subscribe on iTunes. That's a cool way to support. Give me like a review or drop some stars. You can be honest. Hey, if you think it's only worth one star, uh, just drop one star. It's cool. You know, no worries. Um, with all that, with all that being said, hopefully you enjoyed today's, uh, today's show and thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Welcome to the Panhandle Primate Podcast. I am here with Eric Burdett. How are you doing today? I'm good. Doing good? We've been chit-chatting for about 20 minutes probably, uh, which is always, it's always kind of funny because at some point I always have to say, okay, we got to stop the conversation we're having. You know, no matter how natural or how uh, how much I want to just continue the, and it's like, okay, now we got to start the podcast. You know, I almost got to deal with every guest. But anyway, thank you for joining me today. And uh, I wanted to start with like just like an intro, like just like who you are, and it can be as like in depth or as shallow as you want. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm Eric. I'm a guy. A dude. Uh, okay, we got. I have a camera and nice. I use it a lot. I was gonna ask you what kind of camera do you shoot with? Uh, for a long time, I shot with the Nikon D750, and then I just got a Sony A7. Okay, and these are both digital. Yeah, yeah. And then every now and then I'll shoot film. Depends on what I'm shooting. Yeah. Or what I want to shoot. Usually, or like what kind of effect you're trying to get, or what? Yeah. Uh, like recently, I took some film to Uganda. And I took it out of my bag and took it out of the casing to let it go through the scanners and get all messed up. Because sometimes when you get a picture with that film, it looks crazy and you can't tell what it is, but Uh, it looks cool. So uh, that's kind of... I like bad photography. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we're going to talk about that, but like, uh, you from Amarillo? I am from Amarillo. I was born and raised in Amarillo and went to school in Canyon. Okay. So. Okay. Oh, so, so you you were raised in Amarillo, but went to like high school in Canyon. Yeah. Oh, okay. I went. Well, I was in schools here until like second grade, and then my parents moved like in between Amarillo and Canyon, uh, and so then I started going to school in Canyon. Okay. Um. So yeah, that's actually one of my first questions is like, when did you pick up the camera? When did you start shooting? I was nineteen, I think. Nineteen. I had no interest in photography. Uh, really? Yeah. I uh, My mom just gave me a camera and was just like, maybe you'll like this. And I was like, okay. And it probably sat on my desk for like three weeks before I picked it up. And then I just picked it up and I went outside and I took a picture of the sunset. And I was like, this is kind of cool. And yeah. then I went in and like plugged the SD card into my computer and was just like messing with it. And it was like this really old point and shoot camera like couldn't put it into manual and so i would just like go around and take pictures of like random things didn't really know what i was doing but i got to where i really enjoyed just like taking a picture but i didn't really know why i still don't know why i'm mm. like so drawn to photography but i started really like looking at other people's photography and then like from that got interested just in photography and like looking at it and being like oh that's a good picture that's a bad picture or like that's somewhere in between Mm. and so after that i guess that's when i started like focusing on composition like 
maybe it'll look cooler if I put it on the right side of the picture, like in the middle or whatever. Mm. And so by the time I was 20, I think I had bought like a new camera like myself because I wanted to learn in, like how to shoot manual because oh. uh, my camera didn't like have any settings on it and I'm I was sorry. just like taking a picture and there was like nothing to I don't know I didn't have control over it which is like cool but at the same time I wanted to like be able to make a picture you know mm. like really be able to be like I want this picture to be really bright or I want this to be dark and so that's when I got a new camera and after that, I just, like, learned how to shoot manual, and how I did that was just basically taking the camera with me everywhere I went. So, when when you started, was Instagram already a thing? Yes. Like, Instagram was already a thing, and then you started photography? Yeah, and I had an Instagram before that, and I don't... I think I posted memes. Because, mm. like, I was in high school, and, like, had just graduated high school, and... I, did, I think I posted a lot of pictures of me just, like, flipping off random things. Yeah. Um, I just, like, I don't know, stupid things that I did when I was 19. Dude, every 19. Yeah, it's like, it's like, whoever thought that was a good idea? Like, hey, let's make it to where every single person has a camera, and then let's give those to, like, young kids. Like, and just see what, you know, it's like, I can tell you. I can tell you about what 90% of the pictures are going to be. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mostly, like, just flip things off and then every now and then I'd like <laughs> take a picture and I'd look at it and I'd be like oh that's kind of a cool picture or uh, yeah or I took pictures of things I took a lot of pictures of things just to remember them mm. uh, oh I smoked too much weed and yeah. I couldn't remember so I'd take a picture <laughs> of something I took pictures of all my school notes like a way yeah that's hilarious you took a picture of the notes yeah. <laughs> gotta remember this one yeah like, yeah it's funny man I've been uh, you know I've wondered, I've always wondered, like, um, how many good ideas were lost because there wasn't a thing around to record the thing, you know, so like a pin, like that's kind of, that was like the, the thing that it was, you know, it was like how many good ideas were lost just because somebody was like, oh, I don't have a pin. Absolutely. But I was thinking recently, and I've started doing it a little bit more often with uh, my phone is just taking notes. So I'll have notes running in my phone. And before I even realize it, these notes are like undigestible. I mean, they're way too long. But but yeah, it is kind of like the digital revolution kind of made it to where, I don't know if it gives us the illusion that we can like hold on or remember more, you know? Because... Because, like, how many times have you snapped a picture of, like, a quote in a book and then never looked at that picture again, you know? Yeah, true. I don't know. I don't know. I think it depends on how you use it. I think if you're, like, really mindful about it, Mm. it can be, like, super beneficial. I find when I'm paying attention to what I write down and the things that I take pictures of and, like, looking at it regularly and then, like, also weeding out the things that I don't use or I've, like, followed that idea and to, to either its completion or like the realization that I need to save it for later mm. and I kind of like just sort it and so it's been really helpful to me in that but then there's times in the past where I've tried to do that and I wasn't mindful about it and it just you know piled up and piled up and then it was too vague and I'd look at it and I'd be like 
I don't know what I was thinking. It, it's like funny the the line between like compulsion and productive. You know, because that's what I find is a lot of times I'll, I, you know, Shan, my wife and I recently had a discussion about this where I feel like I'm doing something, but really it ends up, I'm just on my phone for 20 minutes and I didn't, I I didn't do anything. You know, it's more of an addiction. It's more of like a a compulsion than, than a productive like tool. Like you were saying, the consciousness that you have going into it. Absolutely. It, I don't, it depends on how you use it and the like mind state that you have towards it. Like, is this a tool for me to use to better myself or like create something, or is it uh, something that's just going to distract me or like make me happy? Yeah. Do you think? So, I've kind of I don't know this question. This might be dumb, but like, do you think that that's like a metaphysical thing? Like, so now you're taking a thing and. In order, you know, it's it's doesn't it doesn't change, right? But then, like, what I'm projecting onto it changes, which then changes the object. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think um, the our relationship with technology has a lot to do with our like worldviews and stuff. Mm. And um, I think, in a lot of ways, our culture is like very pleasure based. Like, people want to be happy and i hear all the time like if that's what makes you happy man go oh, for it oh dang and like honestly i don't feel like that is a good thing most of the time i think you like should try to be happy but i don't think that's like uh the goal of life mm. like is to be happy i I don't know. I it's don't like know. if if the goal is to have fun, typically those end up being the worst parties. Yeah. It's like when you just stumble into the fun, that's when it's actually fun, you know? When you plan, yeah. it's like, oh, this is going to be the funnest party we've ever had. We're all going to have, we're going to, you know? And then you get yeah. there and it's just like, you know? Yeah. I, uh, I feel like a lot of things start out like, yeah, I'm going to drink because it's fun. And then, you know, a couple hours later, you might be drunk and not having fun at all. Or, uh, yeah, I'll do that drug because it sounds fun. Mm -hmm. And then, like, later on down the road, you're like, man, I should have never done that drug. It's almost like if you could could just get back to, like, uh, Emmett's two years old and everything's fun to him. Yeah. Throwing a fit. It's fun to him, dude. Yeah. He has fun throwing a fit, you yeah. know? It's like I look at him, there's so often so many times where I'm like, Man, I wish I could just sit with a crown and just color. He'll just sit there and he's not even coloring anything. Yeah. He's not even producing something. He's just coloring because he likes the feel of it. Yeah. I don't even know what he's doing, you know? Yeah. That's interesting, man. Um so one I got a couple other questions about your photography before yeah. we move on. But uh, how would you describe your style? Um, I don't know. Do you really? like? I, have you ever like thought uh, thought about like how? Uh, because to me, like I I go through. So I I wrote down three different ways that I would describe. So one is like you have these panhandle landscapes. So um, which what's your Instagram? E A E dot A underscore Burdette. E dot A underscore Burdette. Yeah. 
and I'd encourage all the listeners to go and check out your Instagram. But you have these like large landscape cloud, you know, like like landscape pictures. Yeah. And then you also have like I would call it uh, like a '90s skater burnt film, like yeah. like feel like. Um, and I don't mean any of that in like a derogatory way. Like it's it's yeah. like it looks to me artistically created. Like it and it makes me feel of a certain. It makes me feel a certain time and a certain almost like punk rock. You know, I can't really say that I'm poor, but I can't really say that I'm rich. You know, <laughs> like I'm in like almost like the forgotten children of a society kind of feeling. You know, like not marginalized but i am marginalized in the fact that you know i don't exactly know but and then the third one would be uh well actually no the third one was the burned film like the 90s skater burned film like but and then you also have these like beautiful portraits of people you know so like as i'm and they all have cohesive feels so that's the reason i was like wondering how much of your like style because you have a style like as i was scrolling through your instagram i felt like it all seemed cohesive through the whole thing so I didn't know how much of that was like um, meditated beforehand or how much of it is just like you are just creating, you know, you're just doing your thing and that is you. Yeah. So it, it just has a cohesive feel because it's you doing it. Yeah. I don't honestly know the answer to that question. Um, there's There's definitely like, I guess, a color scheme that I really like. And like I know when I go in to edit a photo, I, I like turning my greens like um, a little bit more towards yellows or mm. uh, whatever, or bringing down the exposure highlights or whatever. And there's like things that I do to every photo. Uh, but really, some sometimes it's like the photo itself and I just feel sometimes I feel like I have to take a picture and I don't know if it's just cause I spent so long taking pictures of everything. Uh, like I would take man, so many pictures and most of them would be not good. And then every now and then I'd find the good one. And then I got to like, see the pictures that I thought were good that I was taking. And then, so my brain is kind of recognized the pattern of what I think is a good photo. And so I'll just be walking around and I'll see something. I'm like, oh, hey, cool. I, I think that'll be a good photo. But like, it's not, it's almost not conscious now. Mm. It's just like, oh, hey, cool. And I just take the picture and I don't think about it until I get back home and I plug in the SD card and I start looking through. And I'm like, okay, that's a good picture. That's a good picture. I thought that was, but it won't be. Mm. And then I'll go into the picture and I'll start working on it. And sometimes it's like I get a feeling from the picture itself and I try to like make that feeling that I had when I took the picture because I, I can remember when I took the picture and then I'll try to like reproduce the feeling or like kind of what I saw in my head rather than what was actually there mm. and so honest answer is I don't know maybe I should think about it more no no I, I actually <laughs> probably would have been uh, disappointed had you had a good answer for that like had you been like oh well you know what happened was I took this online seminar and it taught you know? <laughs> like, I almost would have I almost would have been like more disappointed like oh dang you know but yeah like that's 
the the feeling I had, and I almost I almost hated ask. I actually hate asking any artist that question, but I almost am drawn to that question because of the reason that I hate asking them. Most yeah. of the time, is it's like um, it's an indescribable thing that makes you you. Yeah. So whenever you're doing something in which you are you, the thing that shows through that I see is indescribable by you because if if you could describe it, then it wouldn't be coming through that way you know yeah absolutely and i think that's why i like taking those pictures is because it's like it honestly doesn't feel like something that i have control of like 100 mm. percent of the time like and i mean you have control of like whether or not you take your camera out and take a picture but like i spent so long trying to wear down that oh man I'm gonna look so weird or like what if that person hates me taking a picture of them mm. I spent like so long worrying about those things and then like trying to get over it that I think I've gotten over it I'm just like eh, I'm gonna take a picture of you I don't care if you don't like it mm. or like sometimes I'll just like walk through a neighborhood and take pictures of like whatever like people's front lawns or backyards like maybe it's a little creepy but like I enjoy it and like I don't know there's no like malice i don't actually care what you have in your backyard i'm just like looking for a picture you're looking for like uh it's kind of weird to me because when when you think about it and i and i do this sometimes like just going through my house you're going through my backyard and stuff is in a certain spot and it all seems like nothing seems like it's there for a particular reason but it is there it's there because of a particular. It's there yeah. because of my neurotic behavior, or my wife's, or my kids, or yeah. uh, it shows if I'm if I'm lazy or if I'm careless or like. There's all these things that are shown by the uh, the way material lands around yeah. you. You know. Yeah, like how people how different people utilize space is really interesting to me. Like, I'm honestly kind of like a chaotic messy person most of the time and i've been trying to like put stuff in the right place but usually like all my stuff is just like scattered around whatever but uh when i take pictures it's like people scattered around stuff that is interesting to me mm. like sometimes how disorganized somebody's lawn is is really interesting to me or the exact opposite how organized it is and like the symmetry and stuff mm. and sometimes i like things that are like not symmetrical at all like it just looks like absolute chaos yeah there's sometimes it's a it's almost like when the chaos works like there's certain trees that i look at and and sometimes i'll look at a tree and i really love that it's beautifully trimmed and it's symmetrical and it and all the limbs are straight yeah. and then i'll see another tree where it's just got these goofy branches that are growing all yeah. directions and and it's like both of them are beautiful in their own way, yeah. But absolutely. it's completely different than than you know. One is beautiful because it's you know exactly what you said. I don't know why I felt the need to reiterate that. So um, another question is: so I get this like rural, um, like grittiness, almost gory feel from some of your pictures, mm. like almost yeah. like darker, like the darker side. Yeah. And so like what uh, what is it about that, you know, like a like a dead corpse yeah. rotting on the side of the road or something like that? Like what what gets you about that? Um I grew up in a family that hunted all the time. 
and uh, as a kid, I was like, I was six when I killed my first deer. I just sat in my dad's lap and yelled mm-hmm. the gun, pulled the trigger, and uh, I don't know. For a long time, like as a kid growing up, I was like, I hate hunting. I don't want to kill that animal. Um, and like we would eat the meat and stuff like that, and then donate the rest, but there was something about it that I didn't like in, I don't know, like taking a life. It just seemed like really brutal to me. And as I've grown up, I've actually gotten to like see the value of hunting and realize that like hunting is, uh, really a form of conservation. Uh, Joe Rogan talks about that. Oh yeah. And I'm going bow hunting for the first time. Uh, this September. Nice. And so, what what are you hunting? Whitetail. Oh, whitetail. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My a uh, couple of my buddies that I work with are going elk hunting up in Colorado. Oh, Boat archery, you know. Uh, so when you said September, I was like, oh, you never know, you know. Yeah, you could, could be, be like, crazy. oh, the first time I'm going bow hunting, I'm gonna go <laughs> hunt some elk, you know. That'd be crazy. But um, that's cool. Yeah, I'm I'm excited, but really, that's where that side of my photography came from. And recently, a lot of those photos that you may, may have seen were for a project for a band called Bambara. And they had an album called Shadow on Everything come mm-hmm. out. And they just emailed me and were like, hey, we like your f- photography. And uh, we think that that style and the area you're in fit the concept of our album. And so they sent me a list of like 20 shots that they wanted. And so some of them were of like coyotes, uh, deer, mm. um, just different things like that. And so I just went out, uh, basically hunted for like two months or so. Uh, my dad has a place in Childress, and so I would go there. And then my brother um, hunts a lot too, and I would go with him. And then just they shot a deer i'd take pictures of it I'd yeah take pictures of deer uh like drinking at rivers i shot a coyote and i took pictures of that um yeah i just took pictures of like literally everything that i saw there and in a way like i'd been taking pictures of stuff like that before but not as intentional mm. and then so when i started taking pictures of it it was kind of like uh trying to understand the value of hunting uh, and then also give the project the feel that the band wanted Mm. which was a very gritty, dark um, kind of like a feeling of almost terror which I feel like a lot of people have like this feeling of terror when they think of hunting and uh, you ever see that movie Deliverance? yeah like when people I feel like a lot of people when they think of hunting or like rednecks or whatever they think of deliverance and that kind of like that just uh, like yeah yeah just this terror almost ignorance like uh, deep deep ignorance like inner bred ignorance yeah 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 and uh, I think a lot of it has to do with what I read growing up uh and Joseph Conrad, Heart of Darkness, mm. is like that same kind of terror. Oh, the horror, the horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that part where Kurtz says that. Mm-hmm. And it's just this oh, this deep black like abyss of just like 
everything like primal fear within yourself mm. of like like why am I here am I only here to kill mm. and like eat and then die <laughs> and then like for something to eat me right and then just just that's it and there's just like this bleak terror to it and so that was kind of what I was trying to capture there because for a long time that's all hunting seemed like to me it was just like I'm gonna kill this and then I'm gonna eat it and it's like it's pretty violent and brutal but I've kind of come to reconciling that and that project was a big part of that yeah interesting man yeah that's super crazy well and that's the thing is um, most of the hunters that I know and that I've met, um, typically the more of a hunter they are, the more, uh, I wouldn't say sweet, but like there's a certain amount of compassion. Like they're, they're yeah. wanting the animal for <laughs> the meat that they're going to get from the animal. So yeah. they, like I, one of the guys I work with, he shoots his bow like religiously. Like he shoots like 20 arrows a day. At like 60 yards. That's cool. For all year, he's really practicing for one shot. Yeah. And to make sure that that one shot is right on the money, that the animal doesn't suffer that you know that much. Yeah. And that's the thing is a lot of people forget like nature is suffering. Like yeah. <laughs> they, these these bull elk, like there's a, there's a pretty famous picture of two bull elks that locked their, their antlers together and yeah. one snapped the other one's neck. And then it ended it's up like dying. Stuck. Yeah, it yeah. ended up dying because it couldn't get unstuck from this other animal that snapped its neck. And you know, it's not like uh, the alternative to my my buddy getting one of them isn't necessarily like, oh, it's just gonna frolic and like, yeah, you know, look look at butterflies like and stuff. No, by a lion yeah, it's gonna like, it's gonna <clears throat> it's probably gonna kill. Like it will kill. Like these <clears throat> things are not playing around. You know, yeah. and it's not like they're happy. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, they're just they're. They're terrified yeah. all the time. Like they're, they're well, you know that's afraid. actually that is actually interesting. Have you heard of uh, Chris Ryan? Uh, he he's been on Joe Rogan's podcast. He has a his podcast is called Tangentially Speaking. But one of the things that he's talked about and that other people have talked about as well is animals typically aren't living in this fear. Like, have you ever seen the you know in the 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 Sahara? you know pictures where there's like wildebeest and they're eating or they're drinking right next to a lion because it's not a hungry lion so the wildebeest isn't you know he's like okay you know we're cool right now you know you're not going to try to kill me but if the time comes that lion will try to kill it you know and so it's almost like uh that's like almost what separates us from animals and we project onto animals and we start thinking oh it's thinking about its mortality it's thinking about its life which is, I think, what probably what you're meaning by joy and, and happiness. And yeah. it's, it's, it's not necessarily like, oh, I can't wait to go to college and I can't wait to see my kids, you know? Like yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's just survival mode, you know? It's, yeah, it's uh, instincts. It's instincts, yeah. And, yeah. and they're, they're on their, on their uh, what would, attention at all times. Like, so they can either be drinking some water or they can have a life or death battle with a wolf or something you know they're always like right there you know whereas a lot of times it feels like it's hard as a human to get there you know like we try to simulate these instances to like bring us into the moment yeah um where animals i feel like they're always kind of present in the moment but yeah uh, we don't use our instincts like we used to yeah i I mean most people in most like day-to-day life uh 
especially in America, aren't having to like, like, on their tippy toes, you know, uh-huh. and like ready for anything. And like, I mean, being a firefighter, you probably use your instincts more on a regular basis than like most people. Yeah, like, there's there's some there's there's some instincts. Also, just uh, I see. I don't know. It's it's hard to say because like an instinct is something that your body is telling you is coming, right? Yeah. So like. How can I prepare for a late bill in the in the mail? Right? It's yeah. not natural. It's yeah. not like I got an instinct. You don't have an instinct. <laughs> where I'm like prepared for it, you know, like like danger, you know, a lot of those things will snap. But how do you yeah. how do you prepare for your boss to jump down your throat and yell at you for thirty minutes? Yeah. You don't have an instinct for like so like the big huge stressors being a human being. Uh, and being a modern human being in like modern society, the the big stressors aren't necessarily natural. So it's almost yeah. harder to to connect and deal with, you know, deal with uh, like. And I guess it's probably pretty big with like PTSD and stuff. Is you, you your instincts, your body starts telling you that you're in danger, that you're upset, or that you're yeah. scared, or that you're all these things. Whenever your circumstances might not necessarily match up, you know. So it's almost yeah. like. It, it is uh, – I feel like the struggle of modernity is trying to align yourself back with what it actually means to be a human and what yeah. like our instincts are designed uh, to to deal with and confront, you know, yeah. even down to like communication and stuff. You know, we don't communicate like yeah. we were designed to communicate, you know, yeah. and we're missing like uh, – it's kind of the – with like clothes and stuff, we're missing so many subtle body movements and body language and like all of these different things. Yeah. Um, which that that's one question I was gonna have I have for you is like uh, when you were over in Africa, did you did you notice that that different culture did that like feel different? Uh, yeah. Um, there there are just a ton of differences and. Um, I'm no expert on <laughs> anything Africa or Ugandan or anything like that, but uh, their culture there is just different, and it's culture everywhere is different, and then even cultures within Uganda are different. There are 44 tribes, I think, mm. in Uganda, uh, or at least there's like 44 different tribal languages, from what I understand, and then some of them are like offshoots of others Mm. and uh so with each like tribe there's like different cultural things um the biggest cultural things that i noticed was how people greet each other um people would like wave with both hands and then like kind of bow like this Mm. um women a lot of the cultural things that I really saw were within the Catholic Church because mm-hmm. I was living at a Catholic church with Catholic priests. Right, we haven't said like that. that yet. So mm-hmm. you were over there visiting St. Francis School of the Deaf. Yeah. Right over there. And were there mostly orphans there? Is that? Uh, it's deaf children. Just deaf children? Yeah. So that, it's just like even if I'm still living with my parents, it's a school specifically designed to teach a deaf person how to interact with the world. Yeah, and there is a really big stigma about 
uh, deafness over in Uganda. A lot of people out in the village will assume that they're being punished uh, by God or like it might be voodoo or witchcraft or whatever. Uh, I don't think it's voodoo, but they call it witchcraft. And so a lot of people will say like, oh, my son or daughter has been afflicted. And there's a boy at the school, Simon, or he's a man. He's, I think, 25 or 24. And uh, his father tried to kill him when he became deaf. He became deaf at seven. And his father took a panga knife, which is like a machete, and tried to kill him. And uh, he has, like, scars on his face and his legs and his arms and stuff. And he just, like, ran out and for a really long time just lived on the streets. Didn't know sign language. Knew a little bit of the local language. Wait a second. This dude got hacked up with the machete at seven. Yeah. And then he ran away. Ran away and and just... slept in trees in the street (laughs) and stuff like that. Dude, that is crazy. Yeah. And he slowly, like, started to teach himself how to do things. Like, he would go work for somebody that was, like, laying brick and just, like, basically beg them to teach him how to do it and then he would help them and so like slowly he built up a bunch of different skills Mm. like he's a cook at the school right now and so he learned how to cook and stuff like that because you don't need language really to do that right and so well and even even the language a lot of the times that you bring into those experiences you have to develop a whole new set of language anyway you know like so that's like always the hardest thing about starting a new job it's like you got to yeah, go in and you, you got to learn gotta know the jargon. Yeah, you and you got to learn how how it just like a, especially a kitchen. I've never worked in a kitchen, um, but it seems to me like it pulsates and it has certain like there's yeah. you can stand in the right place. Yeah, and you know and make the whole machine work. You yeah, know, or you can stand in the wrong place and screw it all up, and everybody's <laughs> gonna yell at you and say, "Man, you're an idiot because yeah. you can't figure out what spot you're supposed to." But that's exactly. cool. So he learned. He kind of learned the language of work. Yeah. And so after that, he, he met some... There's actually a lot of deaf people in Uganda. Really? Because uh, I think it's outlawed now, but there was a medicine that caused deafness as a side effect, especially if you were a woman who was pregnant who got malaria and took the medicine. There was a high chance that your child would be deaf. Dang. And then uh, there was a chance with the malaria medication that if your fever got too high you could become deaf so there's just a lot of deaf people in uganda and um on top of the poverty and like uh misunderstanding of deafness life for a lot of deaf people is not very good for a really long time and still for a lot of deaf people it's not and so the church there um reached out to Rana and asked her to build, uh, or well, they gave her some land and some facilities uh, where some old buildings had been and just been, were like, hey, try to make a deaf school. And she, she was like just visiting that area. Uh, she'd been volunteering somewhere else. Uh, she was in Camp Hall, the capital. Mm. And one of the priests was just like, hey, we really need a deaf school. Take this and see what you can do. And so that was. Did she she already knew sign language or something or yeah, like what? She did, knew American sign language and okay. then she like started to learn Ugandan sign language. Mm. And then once that happened, like she got like 
really into Ugandan sign language and is like pretty much fluent in it. Dang, I I wonder linguistically. I think I maybe did we talk about this that yeah that first night that I met you. Yeah, I I, like I wondered if like night. linguistic principles carried over into sign language. So like if you if you learned it in America versus if you learned it in Uganda, if like there would be like uh, certain similarities, like the universal. There there are definitely a lot of similarities because um, I know a little bit of ASL. And then, like, most of the sign language I actually know is Ugandan sign language. Mm. And so I took a course last semester at WT on American Sign Language and was, like, messing up all the time signing, like, Ugandan things. Oh, and, yeah. Like, <laughs> professor would just be like, that's the wrong language. It's like, dude, that's my, that's my accent, dude. That's just how I put my fingers. That's <laughs> <But>, uh, <laughs> funny. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. And the linguistic principles, I have, like, no idea about how they apply to sign language but i'd imagine that as far as like language development and stuff like that it's pretty much the same because like our children or the children at the school that arrive at a later age don't pick up sign language as well Mm. there's a, a girl there who had like very 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 little sign language and she got there when she was like 16 and she didn't know how to communicate like really anything at all and she was kind of like a problem child Mm. Uh, like she was just really angry a lot of those kids have been abused a lot of the kids have been abused sexually and so they act out on a lot of stuff like that and they don't have the language always to express like what happened to them who did what to them and so like it makes them the perfect victim for the people that are going to abuse them and so a lot of them have like some real serious shit that they're dealing with and until they have like these signs they don't have a way to like express any of that well and that's what's crazy is even if you are born with all the uh advantages you can hear you can see you can communicate even if you're born into like a good support system it's sometimes it's difficult to express yourself yeah. So now you're taking kids. Not take away like everything that yeah. language. Yeah. And then, like add abuse on top of that. Yeah. And it, can't imagine, dude. Yeah, it's uh it's really hard for those kids. And so when I was there the first time, it was like when the school first opened. And I was there basically like uh taking pictures and like videos and stuff like that for their social media and then just helping out with whatever needed to be helped mm-hmm. out with. Like we needed to carry something from the market to the school. I would just help with that. And so... So you're like half media uh, participant, half just like... Just whatever. labor. Just yeah. like mule. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if something needs to be done, then like somebody can point and like yell at me or yeah. something. Hey. And so... Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was kind of my role. And But that girl who was 16 when she came... I had like no language and we like nobody could get her to sign or anything like that and i left like two weeks after the school opened i was kind of like all right i hope things go well and then i came back and uh that was i got back last friday and so during that time that i was there i 
like had conversations with that girl in like sign language Dang. and stuff like that. And her sign language will always be like a little bit slower because she learned it at a later age. Uh-huh. And the kids that came that are there that are like three years old right now, th- like they tell stories. They like they're really expressive and stuff like that. And so some of those linguistic principles, like learn a language before you're seven, yeah, uh, and then you'll probably be all right. Uh, still apply to like sign language and stuff mm. like that. And so. Like there's a there's a boy there, um, that he knows like some signs and stuff like that, but it's hard to tell how much he's actually like receiving because he doesn't put out much, um, and it's always the same signs and stuff like that. Mm. So it, it can be kind of difficult to like judge where somebody's language is at, but. Yeah, it's like how much of it is he's not getting it and how much of it is he's being a little asshole. Because you got to think it's like, you got to think it's, because I mean, I know at that age, like trying to teach me to do something was like, you almost had to trick me. Like, yeah. you know, like yeah. make me learn, like make me not know that I'm learning because if I know that I'm learning, then like half of it is like, oh, you're going to try to control me. Yeah. Like, eh, I'm going to rebel, you know? Yeah. Well, he's older, and nobody knows when he started learning sign language. And then some of the young adults uh, that were in that village, Pida, before Rana uh, made her school, they, they kind of said that his sign language is slower. So we have an idea that maybe he uh, became deaf really early on and then was maybe neglected. Because oh. uh, some of the kids in Pida were actually sent to other schools, like in the capital that's eight hours away. And so... Uh, some some parents were like they found out about a deaf school or like a program that helped uh, people that were deaf or even blind and so some of those kids learned sign language uh, at an earlier age and then some of the kids that were like their families were either too poor to send them to school or their families neglected or abused them their sign language is a lot further behind mm. um so it's it's hard to tell like why somebody isn't signing or not uh but it's really interesting watching the kids realize what sign language can do for them because there were a lot of kids the first time that i was there that they just fought all the time they cried all the time um they they just weren't happy and once like I wasn't there for this but Rana said that like once a lot of these kids started realizing like the things that they could tell each other and the things that they could like that language could do in the world like really open them up to learning sign language Mm. like organizing a soccer game you need language to explain the rules and it's collaboration yeah you gotta collaborate you you want to communicate yeah and and then once you learn that you can communicate and that you can get things done then you like almost form like a little team you know like you almost like you're you're doing things like bigger things bigger than yourself yeah that's awesome every project that i've ever been a part of that's like gone well was because the communication was there and it was like transparent it was just like here's what i want to do here's how we can help each other do this and like here's the project here's our goal let's do it yeah and then 
the times that communication got like blurry or there was like a disconnect or something like that, or maybe somebody didn't talk uh, for like a week and you didn't hear from them or whatever, that's when things started falling apart. Mm. And so, yeah, communication's huge. And I think, yeah, it's just, it's just a big thing. That's crazy, man. Like, and it's, it's always so, like, I mean, it's fascinating to try to imagine your life not having ever heard or not, not being able to to hear somebody like saying something to you, you know? Yeah. Because there, it's like such an information dump that to imagine not having, not being able to just, you know? Yeah. I mean, even that, you know, you're you're having to process and think about things as they're coming in, and yeah. it's like nothing's coming in. It's like, oh gosh, I couldn't imagine, man. Yeah. That's crazy. And then. Sometimes for a lot of these kids, what is coming in is like people talking to them still. And like they can tell that somebody's talking to them and saying things. They have no idea like what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And then some of the kids that became deaf later on in age, like and acquired a little bit of their local language. Like Simon, he knows uh, like a good bit of Alur, which is the language they speak there. And so he can like read people's lips and kind of like know the point that they're getting. At. Mm. Um, but then there's some kids that y- if you speak to them, they're not going to know like what you're trying to get at. Like, and then maybe you're pointing or whatever, but that can only tell you so much. Right. And then like the next step that a lot of like parents or uh, whoever was in charge of those kids was like, you know, slapping or hitting or whatever if they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And so uh, a lot of those kids were just kind of, like, confused and, like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I don't know why why they're hitting me. It's like, golly, that would be terrible. Um, So do you you have any other takeaways from Africa? I've got a few other questions, but they don't really have to do with Africa. Um, Have you, like, integrated, like, or you know like uh brought your experience from there like have you been able to like digest it into amarello yet um so the first time that i went which was like a year and a half ago um i things went really well in africa the first time and then uh towards the end i just kind of like i was there for three months which seems like a short time, but when you're in like that three months, it seems like forever. And in the like last month, my parents decided that they were getting divorced and my brother was getting married and we, we had been living together. And so, uh, my brother and I, and so it was just kind of like, dang, I'm not going to live with my brother anymore. And like, he's going to get married. Yeah. And, like, we're not going to, you know, just like hang out and be bros. And I was like, dang, that's crazy. And so, like, I was really missing my brother. And then, like, my parents were getting divorced. And, like, maybe it was the best thing for them. And uh, I'm sure being around during that time would have been kind of miserable. Yeah. But, like, it just made me miss home and miss my family. And I was like, dang, like, once I get home, my family is, like, not going to be a unit. Oh, dang. And so, like, I was kind of dealing with that. And then uh, I just, like, missed friends and stuff like that. And so that last month was, like, kind of hard just because I missed everything. 
And then kind of like the breaking point of it all is I got into a motorcycle wreck while I was there. I was on a boda. We had gone to Nebi, which is like an hour boda drive from like the school to Nebi. I think it's like an hour. Whatever. On a motorcycle. And we went like... Nyepea and Paida are kind of up in the mountains. Nyepea is where the school is, and it's further up the mountains. Paida is where we stayed. We stayed at the parish. And then Nebi is down, like, uh, right next... Nebi is on the way to the Nile. Mm. And then there's a place called Packwatch where there's a bridge that goes across the Nile. And then that's how you get to, like, the rest of Uganda. Mm. And so I was on a boda on my way to Nebi and went to the bank, got whatever I needed, and we were on our way back into Paida, and we just hit another boda, like, as we were coming into town, like, straight on, and I I don't know how fast we were going, like, maybe 40 or 30 or something like that. <laughs> I just, I was sitting on the back, and I just, like, went flying over the guy's head, and those two guys just, like, hit each other and messed each other up. Like, fairly bad. One guy had, like, split his leg open, and the other had, like, split his arm open. Dang. And, like, hit his head. And I just, like, flew off the back of my motorcycle, and I just kind of, like, rolled and skidded <laughs> along the asphalt. And um, there, there's, like, a cultural thing where if there's a wreck and somebody dies or somebody's really hurt, uh, like, the justice is immediate. Like, people get pulled out of their cars and killed and stuff like oh, that. Oh, dang. And so, like, the priests and Rana and, like, other people just told me, like, hey, if you get into a wreck, just, like, get out of there. Don't stay around, like, no matter what, especially if you're driving. And I was just like, oh, okay. Like, I was just in a wreck. And I got up, and I, like, looked at my elbows and my knees. And I was, like, all bloody and stuff. But, like, I was okay. And I was like, okay, I'm all right. Peace. But, like, you know, flying through the air, I was just like, oh, shit, I'm about to die in Africa. <laughs> And uh, and oh, I got up dude. and I was like, okay. Uh, and then this Bodo like came up. He saw me and he, he was like, you stay at a tour gong, right? And I was like, yeah. Can you take me there? So I went there. Then I came back and uh, the priest had sent me to the local hospital there. And I met up with the two guys <laughs> that had uh, like been driving, and they were just like, you have to buy us new bikes. And I was just like, uh, were you driving? You weren't no, driving? No, no. I, I like. Uh, basically paid this guy to like take me to Debbie. <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm not paying for your bike, but I'll you pay wreck. for your hospital bill. Yeah, it was oh, like two dollars in American oh. money or something. Oh like nice. That. But uh yeah, I got my wounds clean there and then I came home the week after that and I had a staph infection. Oh and uh I was on the plane out of uh camp no Entebbe and I I thought I just had like acne on my face and then it started I I didn't even know a staff was and then like once the plane took off it just started like swelling up and I had one here here and like just so on my cheek and on my lip and then like one right here and my head just like <laughs> swelled up after we took that and how off. far of a flight is this how long uh, that was to Amsterdam so it was like eight hours oh like god that. And so, I, like, I was just like, man, my face really hurts. So I went into the, like, restroom rush, in the plane. I was, like, looking at my face. I was just like, oh, <laughs> shit, what is going on? And, like, I had no idea what was wrong with me. And we landed, and it all, like, went down a little bit. Mm. But, like, it was still there, and it, like, still hurt. And I was like, dang. And I was like, 
man, I don't feel good. Like, I just don't feel good. Like, my joints ache, and I just feel kind of, like, sick to my stomach. And so, long story short, I, like, finally get back home after, like, 24 hours of just airports and stuff like that. And I get I get back home, and I'm like, dang, I should probably go to the doctor. And the doctor's like, well, yeah, you have staff. Yeah. <laughs> and so they put me on really strong antibiotics, and I just kept like going round after round with it and i had staff for like four months oh. and on my last like dose of antibiotics they're just like if this doesn't do it we're like putting you in the hospital sorry dude <laughs> i'm just like shit yeah and so for like four months i was just like they didn't go anywhere they didn't do anything and like there were times where i'd feel better and i was like i'm getting over it and like i'd go do something and i'd Ooh. like take it too far yeah you know? and i just like end up tanking you yeah and so for like four months it was just like so depressing and then at the same time like i was processing everything that was like the first time i'd ever gone to a third world country Mm. uh or like a developing country and really seen like poverty like real poverty like i don't know it made like a huge impact on me and I like during that time I just pushed it away. I like didn't want to think about it. I was just like I'm sick, like whatever. Uh, I don't I don't know. I didn't want to process any of it, and uh, just like ended up after I got better from staff. I just ended up smoking a lot of weed and like just uh, I just didn't care about anything. I was just kind of like miserable, and I didn't even realize that I was miserable. Ooh. And um. I was like, I was just trying to be happy. I was like, I'm, I'm back. I'm like, just trying to be happy. Like, gotta go back to school and like, get that done and just whatever. Like, I'm just gonna be okay. I'm gonna keep existing and like, I don't believe in anything. I don't like, I don't, like, I was just so like done. I didn't even want to try anything. I was just very unhappy didn't know that I was unhappy and when I realized that I was unhappy it was just like dang I've been unhappy for a really long time and then it like all came back to like oh well you never dealt with any of the stuff that you were processing Mm. like when you came back from Uganda you just like smoked weed and ignored it and I was like okay it's time to like really just sit down and like try to figure some things out do some work yeah and so one of those things was grappling with like is there a god like what do i think of religion because i had lived with priests and i was i wouldn't say i was atheist but i was like agnostic Mm. and um i just i'd I'd say i didn't care if there's a god i don't don't know i don't know i don't know if it matters and so living with priests was like really weird and like you know every time i had a conversation with a priest i was just kind of like are you crazy like, I don't, it was just something I'd never been mm-hmm. exposed to. And I'd also, like, grown up in a Protestant household, uh, like, very Baptist. And, like, Catholics were bad guys. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I just had some, like, misconceptions of what Catholicism was, what priests were. I didn't even know that priests are, like, really well-educated most of the time. Like, they have to go to, like, eight years of school. Most mm-hmm. of them have, like, a, like, uh, oh, what is it? Like masters a, of yeah, divinity masters or, in philosophy oftentimes, oh. hmm. and then some of them have degrees in like 
world religions and like each priest is different and they like go to different things and so that was really interesting for me to learn that like because i'd grown up in a baptist church where like the pastor was just a dude that was like oh, i'm gonna be a pastor now. yeah yeah and like some go to seminary and stuff like that but that was kind of my idea of what catholic priests were too it's just like they had more rules and then i realized that like oh they're actually like for the most part really well educated and there were there were days and I still don't know what I think about this but there were days where I would just hear people screaming in the church and I'm just like that's weird because uh, like our rooms were like right next to the church and I would just hear somebody like like screaming murder basically in the church and I was just like what is going on and so at one night at dinner I asked about it and then like the priest just like nonchalantly oh we had like an exorcism today and I was just like <laughs> what <laughs> and like I'm sure my eyes like just went like this just like you're crazy exorcist I, All right. I, yeah. yeah cause like before I wouldn't have even considered even thinking about like oh okay the, like that's your life yeah that yeah. happens yeah like you're a legit priest I guess like uh, yeah <laughs> and I was just like and so all of, and I also went to mass uh, there during that time with Rana, and I didn't understand the mass, like whatever. And then a lot of times it was in their local language. They only had English mass uh, Sundays. And masses there are like super long. Here they're like an hour, but there they're like two, three, four, five, Whoa. six. Uh, it depends on what's going on, especially if there's like fundraising, because it's the only time that people are gathered enough and like willing enough to like listen about what is being fundraised for. Mm. And so, like a lot of times, it's uh, the local schools there. They'll like raise fees for like pencils or backpacks or like food for the kids, whatever. So. Um, yeah, mass was different, and I was just—I hadn't even been to like American mass that much, and it was just like just all like came together during like probably a year after I had come back, and it was just like all came together, and it was just like, oh, whoa, I really need to deal with this stuff, and got to where I was like, I think there might be a god, or like there might be some order to the universe and so i just like spent a lot of time reading and like listening to other intelligent people like speak on the matter and eventually got to a point where i was just like uh, i don't know about like these other religions because i checked out some other religions and i was just like like what did you check out uh buddhism i feel like everybody goes through a stage yeah, where you gotta, like what is that yeah check it out. <laughs> it's over there i gotta pick up. <laughs> and then uh Islam, just because I was just like, oh, with uh, everything that's happening in the world today, I like should at least know what Islam is. Yeah. And uh, oh, what else was it? It was a Japanese uh, religion that my friend Dusty Bryan uh, told me about. Was it Shintoism? Mm. Uh, so like uh, the way of the samurai kind of? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe or uh, Akuda or um, ah, uh, dang, 
Yeah. Okay. Anyways, I yeah, I looked into it and I was like, oh, that's cool, but like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not buying it. And then I'd grown up like going to a Baptist church and stuff. Like when my parents would make me, and I was like 16 and I could drive, and I was just like, no, I won't go. <laughs> uh, I just didn't. And so after like learning more about like biblical history, and then oddly enough, like medieval history. Um, I took a course with, uh, I can't remember his first name, but uh, Dr. Helbert at WT, and he had a course, it was English literature after 1700 or something, but he's a medievalist, so he made it all about literature that's after 1700 that's about the medieval time period. Mm. And so that got me interested in like, what was the medieval time period really like? And it turns out the medieval period wasn't actually as horrible as a lot of people think it was. And one of the reasons we still have like Plato, Aristotle, and a lot of like those thinkers is because monks just copied down oh, yeah. all of their work and stuff. And like the church was like a huge like beacon of uh, like education and. Uh, <laughs> enlightened thought or whatever they were the nerds yeah they were the nerds was, they also did some like really crazy like bad stuff during that time yeah but like on the whole they preserved like so much wisdom that otherwise may have taken like hundreds thousands of years to like resurface mm -hmm. and so after that i was like kind of okay that's cool and then i got interested in like the church and then like how did the church become all of this because when like back in Jesus's day it was like you know, the temple the synagogue and stuff mm -hmm. like that and then like when it became Christian and they had the like underground Christian church and stuff like that uh, it was just one church like and then during the Reformation and stuff there were all these new churches and so I was interested in that and started looking at it and I was like Jesus is pretty cool like a lot of the things that he says make sense and like the philosophy like for the most part I feel like it helps people treat people better I was like that sounds cool and um, I started looking into it and I was like well if I believe this stuff I guess I have to go to church <laughs> and then uh, I was like well what church do I go to there's like so many to choose and the way I got interested in the Catholic Church is it was uh, when Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom to Peter or whatever he became kind of like the head the rock the the, the church like yeah. the rock upon which the church was built and so when I started like looking at the history and stuff and then the Catholic Church claimed to be you know the church that descended universal from, right it's like the un or uh, it was like the first everybody church right Catholic yeah, or well, universal like, or whatever they they claim to have a direct line of succession from peter mm. so like the popes are sitting in the seat of peter is their claim oh. so like after peter there was i can't remember and then uh they can like trace it all the way back to peter and there were times during like kind of the renaissance and stuff like that where things got really crazy because there were people that were trying to control the church that were like we're declaring this guy pope but then the the church would actually be like uh 
yeah, you can do that, but this is actually our pope. So there were like popes and anti-popes oh, dang. at one point in time. But uh, the more I learned about the history, the more I was like, oh, well, like, at least that claim of being the original, like, they have the line and stuff like that. It made sense to me. And then, like, I started reading about how they came up with, like, their liturgy and the things that they do. And I was like, oh, okay, like, it all goes back, like, all the way back to Peter. And one of the things that really kind of changed my mind and like got rid of a lot of the skepticism in my mind about not Catholicism but Christianity in general they're just kind of like nobody can prove that stuff like no I don't know that's so long ago how do you mm-hmm. how do you go back that far like archaeology and stuff like that but then like also just the story like how do you substantiate any of these claims about Jesus like and so I read a book called The Fisherman's Tomb, and it's about, uh, during World War II, the secret project of the Vatican to find uh, the grave of Peter, because it had been claimed that it was underneath the basilica in the Vatican City, St. Peter's Basilica. Mm-hmm. And there had been, like, previous... Um, like explorations down into like like miles underground and it's in Rome so you know it's all there's just like layers of ancient city and Mm -hmm, stuff mm -hmm. like that and I think the most recent exploration before World War II was like during the Reformation and they were like well, all these Protestants are saying that, like, we don't have the authority that we claim to have, and, like, Peter isn't actually, like, under the basilica or anything like that, so we should look. And so they started, like, tunneling down, but what they found were pagan graves from Rome, and they found all these paintings of, like, uh, the Roman gods and goddesses and stuff, and they were like, whoa, the church isn't built on Peter's grave, it's, like, built on... A pagan, a pagan like, yeah, ritual. Yeah, and so they were just like, we have to stop because like, this might even just disprove us. And so they stopped. But in World War Two, uh, I think it was Pius the Eleventh. He he like restarted the project like in secret, and it took a really long time. And in 1970, they announced that they'd actually like found the bones, and it was this uh, uh, archaeologist and linguistic specialist who had like analyzed a lot of the graffiti uh that they found in these tombs and stuff and had found like basically a secret shrine to peter because during that time catholics were being or christians were being persecuted and so she like followed all these linguistic uh clues from the graffiti that was left over on these like walls and stuff and found like a little cubby with just like these bones in it and that was the bones of a man like they you know they don't have peter's dna so they can't prove that it's peter but it was like bones of a man that would have been like 50 or 60 years old during that time which is about the time that they think peter would have been in rome and how old he was and then uh the samples or whatever they took proved that the body had been under like extreme stress uh and like been tortured and all of this stuff and it 
you know, lines up with the yeah, profile. Yeah, kind of meets the profile, yeah. And so, and then all the graffitis uh, would say things like, Peter is here, and then it had the symbol of the key. Uh, it's like a Catholic symbol that a lot of people use today, but it, it's like a, like a P and then a bunch of lines and then like little keys, like mm. the key for the kingdom, basically. Mm. And that's how they kind of got on to the idea that his body might be here. And then in Latin, there's a thing that says, or no, it's Greek. It says, Peter is here. Mm. And at that time, a lot of people in Rome didn't speak Greek. It was like mostly Christians that spoke Greek in Rome or Greek people that were also mm-hmm. in Rome. Mm. And so when I learned that it was actually Peter's bones that were like there and it's like literally underneath the altar, like you just go like straight down and like, it was like, whoa, Jesus said that he was going to build a church upon Peter. And then like the main church of like the Roman Catholic world is built upon Peter's bones. Right. And I was like, that's interesting. And like, I don't know. The more I looked into it, the more it lined up. And I was kind of like, ah, this is like actually compelling. So uh, I just got interested in it and started learning that stuff. And like, yeah, it's deep, dude. Like the Catholic world is, <clears throat> which I've got, I've got a cousin who's uh, Catholic and we chit chat occasionally. And man, it's like you ask a Catholic a question and you better be ready for the answer. <laughs> Cause like, it, it's uh it's similar to like a Jehovah's Witness or something in the fact that they like know the answer that they yeah. most most like if you're a devout Catholic you're gonna like dive in and with saints and different things and you know yeah. it's kind of cool that the miracles didn't stop with Catholicism whereas like in a lot of the Protestant or at least the traditions that I've like been exposed to it seems like it was kind of like the stopping you know it wasn't a continuation it was like okay now it goes out and it it's almost like a splinter cell, like splinter yeah. cell operations. Like, hey, you know, you send a, a person way over here and then they start something and it's its own church. And then you got, but yeah. Catholics, you know, they always kind of held it tight, you know, like they kept it, yeah. they kept it um, tradition uh, Yeah, they still, they still have like people going and starting new churches. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. in China, there are a bunch of underground churches and there's a huge thing about China wanting to be able to appoint the bishop like the government to appoint the bishop and the catholic church is being like no you shouldn't do that but like china it's kind of how in russia there is the orthodox uh church which is like similar to the catholic church but for a long time the government kind of controlled what the orthodox church did Mm. and catholics were persecuted um so there's like some similar things like they still branch out and like make new churches and stuff like that or like underground churches kind of but then the liturgy the readings the every everything's the same so like when i was in uganda the readings were the same readings that they were doing here and then it's the same reading that they're doing in rome and so yeah that, that's why they call it the universal church yeah because everybody's doing the exact same thing it's like a all following the same plan. Yeah, and um, Jordan Peterson, who man, he's like gotten crazy political in the mm. last like 
I don't know, six months or something like that. And like the alt right has attached themselves. Yeah, to which a is lot strange. Stuff, which is strange because uh, I don't know. Joe Rogan had a podcast with him. Mm-hmm. One of the things Joe Rogan said was just like, the way people talk about you is like so confusing because like everybody has something different to say about what Jordan Peterson has to say. And some of it has like more grounds than others, I think. But one of the things that he talks about in one of his books, Maps of Meaning, is that people need a common, uh, like a story uh, for there to be like a conversation. Basically. So like, yeah, you have to, uh, narrative, you have to have, yeah. you have to have like this, this, the root code has to be the same in yeah. order for us to be able to talk about the same thing. Yeah. Almost. So like for a lot of people in America, it's that we're Americans. Uh, and that allows us to have, you know, the, the door to open to a conversation. Uh, and then for some people, it's economics. Like, it's all money-driven and stuff like that. It, it, I think Jordan Peter, Peterson calls it uh, a mythology. Like, people need to have a mythology about how the world works. And, like, based upon that mythology, when they meet somebody that shares a similar mythology they can have like a more open conversation mm. or whatever. and in a way i think that's kind of what i found in christianity or like catholicism and really like not just catholicism but christianity like as a whole because if somebody has like a similar thing we can we know that we have similar morals we know that we have like similar ideas on certain subjects and stuff like that and so there's a lot of the getting to know each other part of the conversation that just like we don't have to worry about and you can get into like the meat of the matter Mm. and so I think that's like what I found really useful about learning about Christianity and also other religions and stuff like that yeah there's some like presumptions that you're able to make so you can jump way down the line because of the presumptions that you know we've all had you know, like up to this point, we have all these same things, and now we're going to talk about where we're going, but yeah. we're not going to necessarily argue about why we're here. Yeah, but like uh, as an American or like as a modern person, like we most, like most people definitely believe in free speech. And so we don't have to like argue about whether or not you should be like able to say something. Uh, like mm. if we disagree about something that like makes it okay to disagree is like the ability to have free speech right and so in a similar way like knowing somebody's uh, mythology about the world and how it operates and like what your morals or like direction should be in life help connect that's one thing I've noticed like uh, so you you got to listen to Chris Ryan. So he's been on Joe Rogan's podcast. Okay. That's a great starter spot because it like kind of Joe Rogan basically interviews him about his book called uh, Sex at Dawn. But that's that's one of the interesting things um, that comes up, which he he kind of makes an argument that humans are naturally polyamorous. That the the pair mating of uh, of uh, monogamy is unnatural. Yeah. So the reason that there's such a high divorce rate or that there's all these different things, 
that guys cheat on girls and all this stuff is because it's not natural it's an unnatural expectation to start with yeah and uh it is but it's kind of interesting i think the reason that that topic is so touchy to so many people is because it's like the presumption the moral presumption of hey look i'm i'm married to my wife therefore you don't have to worry about me hitting on this girl or going this direction or doing a number of different things because you have a, you have a, a, we have the same thing in our mind that marriage means and I'm saying I'm in it, you know? So it's like, it eliminates a lot of the, the variables of uh, especially like social engagements and different things. And so it's very useful on like a cultural stage to have these presumptions like free speech, like, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think, freedom for all, you know, like non-segregation, human rights issues, all of these different things. It's good to have a basic where you say, and that's why I think Christianity is a a great thing. I mean, I've said like it or not to to most, to people, is it's like, where else can you find a group of people that are waking up and going and doing something that they don't have to do, that they might not even want to do, but they're yeah. doing it because they want to be a better person. It's yeah. like just just the act of saying, I want to be a better person, and then going out of your way to try to do it, yeah. regardless of the belief, regardless of the you know principle behind it, you're saying something about how you view the world that yeah. you want to be a positive force in it. So it, it is kind of one of those interesting things. Like I, I'm actually, I think I said this on a podcast back or two, is it, it blows my mind that more atheists don't go to church. Because it's not necessarily yeah, like about... not an atheist church. Well, or, <laughs> or just going to a Christian church and picking what you think you believe or what you think you don't believe. Who cares? Yeah. That, like when it really comes down to it, it's about getting school to deaf kids in Uganda. Yeah. It's about feeding the kids. It's about making sure people have a uh, a community that doesn't forget about them. Because so often, and you know, uh, a lot of people have different, per, uh, like what they think about crime or what they think about bad, evil, all yeah. these different things. But a lot of the times I think um, a lot of evil, a lot of suffering, a lot of pain could be um, mitigated by community. By having yeah. people that interact with each other and can say, hey, I don't think that's a good idea. But and they have yeah. the relationship where it, it settles. People yeah. uh, hear it, you know, yeah. ears to hear or whatever. Community is really important. And I went through like a stretch where I was just kind of like reclusive. And I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Uh, like. I was just kind of in my own world, and that's like when I had staff too. So like, I was kind yeah, of forced rightfully to be that way. so. Yeah, it's kind of so, so. Like, you get thinking in a way, and you don't have anybody to express it to, and so your thoughts kind of get like twisted up, mm. or like you might jump to a conclusion that's false, but there's nobody else there to be like, "Hey, that's wrong." Yeah, that's fucked up. Don't think that way. Yeah, yeah. And you might start thinking. Um, uh, I'm a loser. Uh, nobody cares about me. My life isn't important, you know, or something like that. And there's nobody there to, to like, yeah, to snap you out of it and to say, no, you you know, you're an idiot. You just admitted that you're an idiot, and you're being an idiot right now. 
Yeah. You know, there's not that reassurance to get you out of those trains of thought. Yeah, unless you're in a community or you're in, uh, yeah, community. I think that's the only yeah. only way to get snapped out of that because we all have those. We all have those times where we start thinking negatively um, about a project we're working on or about the direction we're choosing in life or about all these different things. Yeah. Uh, and you need somebody there to say, hey – Bring yeah. it back. Bring it back to reality. You know, like let's come back to base reality. Absolutely. So I actually have a couple of uh, you doing good. Yeah. Do right at yeah. hour and nineteen. We're going <laughs> going strong. But I got a couple. Um, I've got a couple more things. Actually, two more topic things that I was wanting to hit on with you, and they kind of okay. it, it goes a little. It might kind of swing back into the same conversation, but um, so I have uh, honing the perspective. So what I think is interesting about photographers and about people who start to view their world as art, you know, it, mm-hmm. and I think photography has a, a unique, um, let's see, readiness of it. You know, like a painter chooses how they see their world, but the medium in which they process it through is like slow and takes time and it's not as immediate, you know, but yeah. with a photographer, you start viewing your world almost as like a studio like you were saying earlier your world becomes the studio so you start honing your perspective and you start like looking for different things so um my question is like where do you find yourself when you forget that you were looking and to to like kind of put a little bit more of a because i know that that's a little bit of an airy question but like when when do you find yourself like most in the moment you know like you forget Mm. You forget that you're producing Eric. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, man, really, anytime I'm watching a sunset, and I think the things that I first started taking pictures of were things that I just looked at anyways. Um, the horizon was something that I, like, I always lived out in the middle of nowhere um, growing up. Uh, like no neighbors just like farmland cows and then a flat horizon so it's just like always looking at the horizon um like you had like a little bit of a skywalker thing going yeah, on exactly. you're like a, like luke man you're at the condenser <laughs> and you're looking out at the two sunsets and you're just like what am i doing here yeah <laughs> uh something like that and um yeah and then like the sky like the clouds and then the sunsets, like, I was just, like, always looking at those, because, like, what else do you look at when there's mm-hmm. literally nothing, like, on the horizon, or, like, anything to block the sky? Well, and to, and to even, so, like, to take it another level, there might be some listeners who aren't from Amarillo, or who haven't experienced, like, an Amarillo thunderhead, you know, yeah. like, who haven't experienced, like, these huge structures that, it's like a different landscape. And they completely change color and they have all of the, – there's like all these uh, – actually, I can't remember if it was deep in your feed or if it was like one of them that you just posted. You might have just posted a picture of the clouds and like a sunset yeah. and you have like – there's all these different colors. There's all these different layers. There's yeah. all, it's, it's like so dense, you know, like the picture is so dense. Like I can't it, – it's like to me it's uh, – how can you be like presented that and not just like be enamored, you know, like be sucked in, you know? Yeah. And like, it's just outside. Um, yeah, it's crazy. I, I don't, 
there's times when I'm taking pictures of clouds and I just kind of forget that I'm there. I'm like taking the picture and I'm, you know, oh, that's cool. I'll take a picture of that or whatever. But like, I'm not thinking the way that I usually do. Mm. It feels like I'm not thinking at all. And like, I think some people call that flow Mm -hmm. or whatever. And so those are the times when I really feel like, oh, I'm taking a picture. And it's not necessarily that I'm taking really good pictures. It's just that like, I'm in this mindset uh, that I've developed over some time of just like taking pictures where I'm like, oh, I'm taking a picture. And it's almost like my brain turns off. I honestly feel very out of control when I do photo shoots with other people Mm. because it's hard for me to like think of a specific picture that I want to make with this person because so many times when I take pictures, I'm just like putting my camera up and I'm like, okay, cool. That's a cool picture or whatever. Mm. And so it honestly seems like when I do photo shoots with other people like I've been doing a series of photo shoots for a show out at Mariposa um, yeah and doing pictures for four bands or like four groups of musicians and stuff like that for that is that the part of the project uh it's gonna the pictures are gonna be like used for the poster and then oh. uh some of the pictures are just for the bands to have mm. And so, like, when I've been doing those shoots, I've got two more shoots left. It's, like, been really hard, but, like, there's moments where I'm not telling anybody, like, how to be or what to do. And I just, like, look, and I see the picture, and I take it. I'm like, okay, that was the best picture I've taken so far, but I didn't think about it. I didn't make it happen. It just happens that, like, uh, the way we made it happen is just being there. Oh, shit, it's the the process, man. It's the process. And so... It just like it seems like when I'm thinking about photography, it doesn't happen. Mm. And when I'm not, it does. <laughs> Interesting. So I don't know what that means, but it's how it works for me. Yeah. And the things that I found myself developing like my style or whatever mm. on for photography was just taking pictures of things that I looked at normally, like driving. I used to count the telephone poles and like light poles uh especially like as a little kid i would like like snap or like click my teeth together every time we would pass a pole Mm -hmm. and i i don't know why i did that but then like i realized one day without really realizing it i think somebody pointed out to me they were like why do you always take pictures of light poles or like telephone poles and i was just like I didn't realize I did that. But then I like went back and like looked through a bunch of my pictures. And I was like, oh, I do do that. <laughs> That's all I look at. And uh, just, I don't know. It's something that I don't think about a whole lot. But then like when I start thinking about it, it kind of like freaks me out. Like, oh, yeah. I'm not doing that. But. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny, dude. Okay. So, and then, so that was, uh, that was that topic. And now my next one. And you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, I, I had to resist the temptation to jump down here, like while we were talking about that. But so, like purpose, um, and this a little. There was a. So I'll just I'll ask the question: Are you a unique individual, or all we are? Are all we are? Are you a unique individual, or are or are we all part of like a hive? Uh, because like so like so this is kind of why I was getting a little bit excited and I was like yelled out like perp you know like our uh, process you know because I I wonder 
how unique I am given my set of circumstances or if this Dexter was the only possible outcome given the cir- the the circumstances that I was placed into. So you uh, you switch babies at you know and granted I know this isn't necessarily an argument about genetics or like predispositions or any of that shit but you take switch babies and you put one baby in this and put the other baby in this. is he yeah. going to turn out to be Dexter is he going to have the same existential angst towards certain institutions is he mm-hmm. going to have you know yeah uh, the same interests and stuff so what what's your thought on that is there is there a purpose are we part of a hive or is that the purpose I don't know. um I like to think that we're all connected and maybe that's just some like christian overtones Mm -hmm. but uh i I like to think that we're all connected and then that there is some thing that we're all connected for some purpose or whatever uh and we do work a lot better when we work together like i mean they came with a lot of pain and suffering but look at the pyramids uh like that was a bunch of people working together to make something like really amazing and then a lot of times when you get, uh, like, movies. Movies are made by a lot of people. Right. And those are, like, really amazing works of art a lot of the times. And just everything seems like it gets better when people come together and really work on things. And you can even look at painters and uh, that worked solo and stuff like that. But the experiences of their life the people around them all of that stuff like goes into their art well see and so what that's one of the things i would say is like you look back at art and how is it classified even literature it's classified in groups of like-minded yeah. works even even if they're not collaborating mm-hmm. like you see all the same artistic like uh like painting techniques they all everybody adapts they yeah. they all adopt that same technique and I think about uh, like the beat movement, all these guys that are writing and they yeah. write and it feels the same. As you talk in- about Kerouac, you talk about Ginsburg. Exactly. Yeah. It's like you get all these things that go hand in hand. So like yeah. one of the concepts I was playing with was um, I wrote down Ender's Game because, you know, there's this interesting uh, confliction I saw. I was. Uh, we were talking before the podcast started. You got rid of a bunch of your books before you went over, and yeah. I was like looking at your Instagram story, and I saw you had like ton of Orson Scott card. Yeah. Uh, like uh, the whole collection, maybe. I mean, it was like. Uh, yeah, this, I had a lot of his books. Um, but in that, I always thought it was interesting because I actually have Ender's Game and The Matrix as opposite views of humanity, because in Ender's Game, the bugs, the formics those are the hive mind right and and the humans are the unique individuals so the queen was unable to see that each human was a unique individual and that was the big that's the reason for the war and then once she realized oh these are all unique individuals she wasn't necessarily on the offensive then humanity was attacking them you know But so I always thought that that was interesting that he uh, chose to to draw a line or make a line between humanity and uh, and the bugs. But then you have like the Matrix, a different uh, popular culture representation of humanity, mm-hmm. and we're all in we're all plugged in to the same machine. We're all part of the same network, right? And it's yeah. generated for us. So. I guess that was kind of my question uh, was like, 
was like, are we part of this matrix, right? You could call it God. We could say, not even to say sci-fi machines are running the thing, but but we're all connected, like right? Through some sort of a network. Universe. Right. Some, yeah, something. So you think that, so would you call, would you classify that as a hive? Uh, not really, because I, I do believe in free will. Um, and I think you have the free will to opt out of that. You have the free will to opt out of civilization. Um, a lot of people do. Like, you've got really crazy people that go nuts out in the mountains and, like, live by themselves and uh, got hermits and a lot of them become, like, paranoid, uh, like, what do you call them? Conspiracy theorists. Yeah, and yeah. Like that. And I don't know. To me, that reinforces the fact that, like, there is something. I don't know if it's just, like, communities or god or some universal order uh do you are you aware of terrence mckenna at all no idea who that is oh you gotta you gotta do a deep dive on terrence mckenna man but uh he has this concept called the transcendental object at the end of time his concept is more of a which i'm probably gonna butcher it but basically it's this object that has that's a transcendent object so it's on a different plane Mm -hmm. but it has some sort of a force like gravity so it's pulling us towards it's yeah it's pulling out and and then he's saying that it's increasing um oh damn i'm gonna go blank on uh uniqueness um i can't get the word uh unique it's like um when something special happens uh damn i'm not gonna be able i'm gonna remember that word in a very little bit but if you watch like one terrence mckenna video he will say that in it you know um increasing uniqueness damn it what is that word oh it's gonna kill me dude that is gonna kill me because i've said that word that phrase so many times but i wasn't even planning on going there with this um but yeah he has this like and to me it's interesting because he he is not like a theist. He's not, I don't think necessarily. He did mm-hmm. a lot of drugs and LSD and yeah. DMT and everything. So oh, he has yeah. like some crazy, some crazy other dimension stories and stuff. Um, but it was interesting because like hearing his description of it, uh, if somebody were to ask me like, what is God? The way that I would probably be forced to describe it is that it is a pull towards complexity. Like it's it's a it's a pull towards, and and that's when people say like they'll make a statement like God is love. What what that means is God is interconnection with other things that benefit both things. Like yeah, God, that like that thing is God. So what what brings two animals together to uh, collaborate or work together or build like a. uh, like a beneficial relationship Mm -hmm. that that force is god and so like the connection god only exists between the two connections of these beings so whenever like god has like why did god create humanity why did god create the world well the only way that god exists in the way that we think of it or the way that we perceive it is like through the connection of the two beings like like a magnet if you don't have a piece of metal, a magnet is just a little lump, 
but as soon as you have a as soon as you have the metal it gives the magnet its purpose almost you know like you have to have that like dike would it be dichotomy i'm not exactly sure probably jumping off of a ledge on that one and disappearing into a spot that i cannot recover from i don't know enough philosophy to yeah i don't either dude i've not i haven't taken any college classes so but um okay so my final question well actually i got two more questions but one and i'm springing you on this i i've been trying to get better at like hitting up my guests beforehand and letting them know but do you have a song that you want to be played out with a song oh man I've been listening to, I don't listen to a whole lot of music, uh, and I haven't for a while, because I like to just, I get things stuck in my head, and then I'll have, like, somebody's words in my head all the time, you know? And so I feel like I'm not having original thoughts. So I listen to a lot of instrumental music. Um, There's a band called Hammock that I've been listening to a lot, and there's a... um, there's an album album called Oblivion Hymns, and probably the first song off of that. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. Track one. That's why I'm writing it down. Nice, dude. That's 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 cool. We've I've had some. Uh, I've played some Hayden, Hayden Pedigo on, yeah, yeah. and I think actually when he was on, he I'm trying to remember who it was he suggested, but it was like a like an ambient music person that i was like i had no idea and it was, was it john Faye. no it was a it was a chick i'm trying to remember i'll have to go back to that episode and look it up but uh all right man i'll, I'll play that track but last question is how do you define success how do i find success um just doing what you say you're gonna do or like what you think you're going to do mm. like, so when when what when the outcome lines up with the intention yeah i think i think it's about intention if you're if your intent is to be rich and make it happen then yeah you've been successful if your intent is to be rich and happy and you're rich but not happy you weren't successful if you are trying to be and we talked about this earlier like I'm not sure happiness is what we're supposed to get at or what is best for us. Cause when we're happy, we get complacent and all the other things that go along with mm-hmm. that. And like stagnation. Mm-hmm. If you're, if your goal is to be not stagnant and you're doing things then yeah, you're being successful at that. If your goal is to, I don't know, be poor, then you're being successful yeah like if your goal is to help other people and you're helping other people then you're being successful yeah i don't know i don't yeah i think that's it i think it's about intention and the outcome of that intention nice dude good answer man uh well right on dude i appreciate your time hour 38 (laughs) flew by yeah so uh I guess we'll just. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of a sign off. You got a good idea for like a sign off? I usually say like peace, but I don't. I, I don't know if you can really say that to the guests. Like be like, all right, say peace. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I usually just say see you later to everybody. All right, and with that said, see you later.
All right. Again, thank you for listening. That was, so we didn't know the name of the track whenever we first, uh, when we were talking about it, but the name of the track was My Mind Was a Fog, My Heart Became a Bomb. And that was by Oblivion Hymns, uh, or that was the album Oblivion Hymns by the band Hammock. So I would like to again thank my guest today, Eric Burdett. Uh, really good time. Um, I would also like to thank my podcast or my podcast sponsor, uh, Happy Hour. Remember, they're opening this Thursday. They're located at 3801 Olson Boulevard. They uh, follow them on Instagram at Happy Hour. Um, check out their website, happyhourtx.com. Uh, to place orders, you can call, you can place it online. Uh, use promo code Happy Primate for half off of your order on August 30th. And um, with all that being said, thank you for making it to the end of the podcast. I really appreciate you listening. Uh, and if anybody's hearing this right now, I want to hear from you. Hit, shoot me a message on Instagram. Shoot me a message on Facebook. I'm checking the reviews section uh, in the iTunes, and I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you think's working about the show. Let me know what you think's not working about the show. Uh, if you have a guest that you want to hear, um, all that stuff. Great stuff. Uh, I love doing it. I love hearing it. I'm really enjoying this podcast, and uh, and uh, thank you for listening. Uh, every listen is a validation. You know, every time somebody says, "Hey, I've I listened to your podcast," um, it makes the work that I'm putting into it. You know, like kind of means something. So, anyway, thank you, people, and uh, until next time, peace. <laughs>